Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live. And tonight we have our special guest, Christine Elise McCarthy. Christine, we have connected. How are you doing tonight? I am very well. I'm sorry. I want to confess to the world that I blew you off by mistake at three o'clock today or two o'clock. I thought it was three and it was two. And I was so proud of myself for showing up at three and I was wrong. So I... <laughs> It I happens. It happens. Sorry. It's good to be busy, and uh, you know, it's better than not having anything or sitting by a phone and just waiting for a phone call. So, congratulations. And I had two auditions. You know, auditions are a thing, and uh, now you got to self-tape them and, and edit them yourself and upload them yourself. It's a whole bigger process. Oh yeah. Than it used to be, so. <laughs> well, let me ask you: Are you? Do you have somebody who does like the editing of your auditions, or are you tech savvy enough to do it on your own? Well, I've had the cooking channel for a couple of years now, so my and I also worked in post production for a long time. Um, Good. In reality TV, I I worked on the uh, on Elevator actually, the Sasuke twins um, game show they had for a while. I did post production on that, so I'm pretty I'm pretty well versed in the. Um, Post in the editing world. That's yeah. awesome. You mentioned your channel. You're to be on your show right now. <laughs> I actually checked out your YouTube channel yesterday, and you have a you have a great channel about vegan um, and giving tips and techniques to people. When did you start doing that? I did a blog. I was pescatarian for like 30 years. I gave up meat in the eighties and eight years ago, I'm, I mean, I don't really know that maybe eight years ago I started a blog uh, on, on a whim. I woke up, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do a blog. Cause everyone likes, I, I, I cook and I photograph and everybody says like, well, that looks really good. What is it? And I thought, Oh, a blog would be a good way to like, to, to direct them to somewhere and answer the question for them. It's like, here's what it is. Here's how you make it and go crazy. I did that for a couple of years, three or four years, and that began to feel really stagnant. I feel like I'd done as much as I could in that in that forum. And then again, like on July 5th, one year, I woke up like three or four years ago. And I was like, I'm going to do a channel. Um, and I didn't have a mic. I didn't have a camera. I didn't I hadn't uh, investigated like editing software for my desktop. And the first like I, I just did it. And the first two episodes are very, very rudimentary. And the first 12 are sort of technically challenged as far as sound goes. Um, but after that, I got it together. And it's like 150 episodes uh, on the channel, primarily vegan cooking, some cocktails, some Chucky stuff, um, some 902 stuff, but primarily vegan cooking. But vegan cooking, um, for those who are just sort of vegan curious, it's not like a preachy vegan channel. It's meant to like, uh, have people who are wanting to do meatless Mondays, or I've got a friend who had a heart attack and is a medically induced vegan. I have friends whose kids come back from college and they're vegan and they don't know how to, what to cook for them or whatever. So, um, there's a lot of reasons people would be curious about what vegan food is. And oh, it's yeah. also, you know, and it's also obviously very good for animals. <laughs> um, and great for the planet though. I think people don't realize how much water is involved in, um, animal agriculture is what they call it um and for so anyway, yeah for people who want to check it out what's the name of your youtube channel it, it's delightful delicious to lovely but if you go to videovegan.com that's the url to get there directly yeah. and it's it really it's meant to be like you know sort of familiar dishes veganized so mm -hmm. if you want to like make dinner 
um, and somebody at the table is vegan and nobody else is, but you want everyone to enjoy the meal, uh, the same meal without having to make two, um, that's the channel sort of geared toward. So. I, I totally I get it. Of, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I totally get how you got started. I started doing this. I have, I had no background in entertainment. I was just a fan, a viewer. One night at three o'clock in the morning, I did it really late so nobody could see me. I started doing a live stream just to check it out. Well, 20 months later, here we are talking. Uh, it's crazy how some stuff just falls into place. And it also says in your uh, Instagram profile, you are a writer, author as well. Yeah, I wrote for TV a little bit. I wrote a couple of episodes of Nunner 210. Um, I wrote a couple of pilots that didn't get made, but I wrote three episodes of Nunner 210 that did get produced. And I wrote a novel. I wrote a um, dirty comedy novel called Bathing in a Single Girl, which is available for 10 bucks on Amazon or like two or three if you have a Kindle or a Kindle, you know, a tablet, a reading mm -hmm. tablet kind of a thing. Um, if you go to bathingbook.com, there's a tab there called, it says the film, it's a 10 minute short film that I did first. Uh, and it's sort of, it works really well as a trailer for the book. So if you like the, if you like the movie, um, know that the book is way funnier and a lot raunchier. The book is, it's not erotica. It's not sexy at all. It's not, it's not erotica. It's, it's like Larry David wrote a book about dating. I flatter myself, about, you know, I, but uh, it's really that sort of uh, sensibility. It's more cranky and everything goes wrong. Now and, you brought up 90210 and a lot of people know you as Emily from 90210, AKA Brandon's girlfriend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, my first question is you did child's play two first. Uh, Back in 1990, I believe that came out. Do you attribute Child's Play 2 as to sort of giving you that kickstart where you had, I mean, a huge list of credits in the 90s? You were a hot item back in the 90s and into your career now. But good looking back, is Child's Play 2 what you would say got it all started for you? That's hard to say. I didn't feel any necessary, any particular up, a tick in my uh, ease of my audition, like what I got, the level of what I was going in for or anything. It certainly didn't hurt. Um, horror films, I think, have more respect now than they used to mm -hmm. back in the day. So while that film, I'm proud of it, I don't think the town paid attention to it necessarily as far as like, oh, who's this actress in this, mo this movie that just came out, you know, it wasn't like it was um, ET or something, you know? Um, so I don't, I don't know, it's hard to say. My agent at the time could better answer whether her calls got taken more easily um, after the release of that movie. I personally didn't feel a big um, jump. I did feel the jump after 90210. And that leads uh, me to my next question. 90210, huge show. I mean, I yeah. watched it every, every week yeah. religiously uh it was part of my teenage years growing up did uh take us back to that time i'm assuming more people when you were walking down the street recognized you more as emily as opposed to kyle from child's play 2. i never got recognized as kyle uh, back in the day um but emily because in all fairness to kyle um it was a feature 
it had its little run, you know, it did very well. Obviously, they wouldn't have made a third one and seven ultimately, but um, it it didn't have this massive cultural like phenomenon impact on America like Leonard Tuono did, and also Kyle's look wasn't especially dramatic. Mm-hmm. Emily Valentine's kind of was that that short hair with the blonde roots. It was a much more identifiable look. Yeah. Um, and the show was like they were on the cover of Rolling Stone. Like it was like a there. Jason and Lucas opened a mall, and girls would trample each other oh, trying yeah. to get. I remember. It was a whole different level of uh, exposure, and um, my look was much more defined. So yeah, I my first time being recognized as Emily, I happened to be in New York City with a friend whose name was actually Emily, and we're walking down the street, and people are yelling Emily, Emily, and she's looking, and she's like, I don't know those people. Do you know those people? And it took us a couple of blocks of that to realize that I was the Emily they were talking to. Um, so that that's the first show that I had that sort of street side recognition from. Now, you know, staying on 90210 for a little bit, uh, of course, it was a big hot show in the 90s with teens, and it's still somewhat relevant today. Uh, it's, you know, it, it never went away. It's still there. It's still very popular today. Uh, were you excited? I believe you were in like a total of like 24 episodes when you did get cast for Emily. Did you feel the pressure of coming on to a big franchise like well, not a franchise, but a, a huge show like 210, which spawned Melrose plays and whatnot? Did that pressure get to you? Did you feel the tension at all? First of all, I only did like 13 episodes. Okay. I didn't do 24. I did way fewer. I did like seven in season two and then two more in seasons four and five. I did very few episodes of that show. And of course I felt the pressure. I was, uh, you know, an aspiring actress that wanted to establish herself. I wanted to move on to be a big film actress. That was my goal at the time because back in the day you couldn't do TV and film. It had to be one or the other. And that's changed entirely at this point in time in Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston, like these Laura Dern, the A-list actresses are doing television now, but that wasn't the case back then. Reese and Jennifer but, are co-hosting a new show together. It, it, that, but that, but th- you know, 30 years ago, you could, if you were on TV, you couldn't get a feature. Mm-hmm. And if you were in features, you wouldn't consider doing TV. Now you kind of have to do both or you can't do either, you know? So, um, Anyway, yeah, of course I felt the pressure. It was incredibly intimidating to walk onto that set with people who had, who's been on the cover of every magazine. You're standing in the supermarket to buy some tomatoes, and there's ever their faces. You know, it's impossible not to be intimidated by that. And and my first episode, it was just the one. The one had to go well before they would give me more, and that was that was true on ER too. I did one mm-hmm. with the promise that if it went well, there'd be more. So of course I felt pressure. Um, but. Um, I feel pressure on every set. It's scary always. So this, the fear level in reality on a set is not any higher. It's kind of like I'm just doing the best I can fucking do mm-hmm. uh, no matter what. Yep. Whether it's just one episode without, without a promise of more or one with a promise of more. My, 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 what I bring it, when I'm bringing it, I'm bringing the best I can. You know, hopefully that works. But yeah, of course I felt that pressure. Of course I did. Looking back now uh, to the, you know, the beginning of your career, do you feel like you're more known as for Kyle and your role in the Child's Play slash Chucky franchise? Or 
more like other stuff like 90210 you mentioned er uh when you look back for yourself personally which body of work are you most proud of and you are very proud to be associated with all of it all of it all i'm proud to be associated with all of it that every single one of those jobs you just listed and, and many more that you didn't are all enormous gifts for me um I'm, I've never been an A-list actress. I've never been somebody that gets to pick and choose. I'm a girl that, like, if you get, offer me a job and I don't find the job embarrassing, if I don't have to get naked or I don't find it embarrassing on some other level, the answer is pretty much yes. So, and I, I'm, you know, shucking and jiving. I'm like clawing, you know, for every job that I get. So I'm grateful for and enjoyed all of them. Um, the two that have been had the greatest longevity for me are obviously Men Are Two and O and Chucky because two years ago we did a reboot of um, Men Are Two and O yeah. and they I was lucky enough kind of like with this Chucky franchise with infinity of characters to bring back I have both Men Are Two and O and Chucky there's a lot of people they could have chosen to bring back and in both cases I was born, I was in the shortlist and and got to come back and I, that's like a fucking lottery win and I'm incredibly grateful and in both cases I have family the, the people that I met 30 years ago in both projects are, are people that are still in my life every day Jason Priestley and his wife and their kids are like my that, that's who I spend my holidays with wow. they're my truly my family and Alex Vincent um is I talk to him every single day he lives in Florida and I live in Los Angeles but Alex is like my real little brother we truly are I think we have a closer relationship in real life than Kyle and Andy do even on camera and I stayed in touch with Don Mancini too through all, through the interviewing years. And I also met Jennifer Tilly doing theater before I even did Chucky, before I did that on 210. In 1988 or 89, I did a play in a theater where Jennifer was doing a play too. Um, so I've known Jennifer before either of those jobs. So um, they're enormously sentimental for me. I'm a, I'm a sentimental person by nature and those jobs um, have been the gift that keeps on giving in, in every way, both professionally and personally. That said, uh, China Beach and ER are by the same writing and producing teams, you know, overlapping greatly. Hold on a second. Dogs? Are all the dogs here? Where's my Sorry, I live in Hollywood and I heard coyotes and I've got three dogs, so I have to make sure yeah. that out. Um, uh, the, the, those shows, China Beach is my favorite, uh, the most sort of powerful job I ever had in that it was incredibly intellectual writing and really emotional stuff they gave me to do. And I'm not a trained actress and I wasn't sure I was able, was going to be able to rise to the occasion. Uh, I was ultimately, I think largely in part to the writing and the writing being so intelligent and so it's just imbued with emotion, but also the actors that I worked across from Mark Helgenberger and others, um, are, were so brilliant that if you just focus on them and say the words you're told to say, that emotion just happens because they're Dana Delaney, like incredible actresses and then same people that did ER. So I got to do really heavy work, emotional work, which didn't happen necessarily in Chucky or 90210 for the most part. Yeah. Um, so that the intellectual level of that writing and the, and the, the award-winning level of that acting is something that I'm also super grateful to have been invited to. So you're an actress that really loves to have the writing push your boundaries and explore different 
sides that you may or may not known you had? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of the writing supporting what they want me to do. It's very difficult to do, to get emotional and be authentically emotional if the writing is superficial and cheesy. So, and if the actors across from you are not delivering, that's distracting and also difficult to get past. So yeah, of course I'm 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 just a fan of the writing doing my job for me. <laughs> you know, um that is nothing better than that. If you just say the words and, and tell the truth that and it comes off great, yeah. And flows off naturally. The yeah. horror community has embraced you opened arms. Uh, when you went, if you can remember when you first met Don Mancini and you auditioned for Kyle in Child's Play Two, were you a fan of horror? Were, you know, was it just another job? What were your feelings on the genre itself? I was not a huge horror fan. I'm, uh, the Exorcist uh, was already under my belt, and it belongs, I think, in like the top 10 or 15 films of all time for me, uh, of all genres. Um, it's a really incredibly intense movie, and it's my favorite horror movie to this day. And could never be remade because they would never let them do what happens in that film. They would never do it again. And it was it and they took it seriously. Everybody in that cast and that that film was not treated like a horror film, it was treated like a drama and it, and it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then we're talking like the so the 80s, 80s horror films. Yeah, I'm a fan of the original Nightmare on Elm Street and the first Friday the 13th and the first Halloween. Those are great. They're iconic awesome movies and they're entertaining um or they wouldn't have lasted the way they have but that's not my genre i'm a i'm more of a edge independent film and edgy uh, edgier sort of quirkier movie fan i was, certainly was then um it's opened up a lot since the 80s oh, yeah. you know so i and horror has come a really long way mm-hmm. since then i i uh, did a deep dive into the horror um franchises the big ones when i was doing my 14 days of quarantine in toronto last summer for chucky mm-hmm. i was like well you know i get asked about horror all the time and i don't think i'm necessarily super informed or i don't have a really bookish sort of knowledge of the that genre i like films that are more i'm not a big scare you know a jump scare uh, slashery uh person in general you like the psychological stuff like me. i do i like the strangers i thought the strange the sequel to the strangers was equally awesome um but i watched the hostel series i watched the final destination series i watched uh the fear street series i, I mean i watched a shit ton of fucking horror when i was in canada and take away hostile series is fucking brutal and awesome <laughs> that's the uh, wall for you right there crazy craziness and it's also fun to see actors that i know that i didn't know were in these things oh i know you uh. anyway um i um my takeaway was that i feel like horror deserves a category in the golden globes at the very least if not the oscars because i think it's an un just uh, dis- it's been just dis- it's like the red-headed stepchild of uh of movies and i don't think uh it deserves that place anymore the storytelling the conjuring series all the conjurings like these 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 movies draw uh classy actors they're well written they're the the plot is not just like teenagers having sex getting like stabbed in a fucking bunk bed it's way more complex than that 
And more importantly, I think the acting is so grueling. I think what they ask of these actors is so intense. And to, to maintain, like, I don't know that audiences understand how hard it is to be raw and emotional for long periods of time, be crying and screaming, being raped or being murdered or being tortured and all these things that make typically to women um, have to do incredibly hard, heavy lifting emotional work. I think it deserves a place of respect at this point. I think Absolutely. that actors are really delivering it. And I think they need, I think they need to be recognized. And filmmakers in the horror genre like to hold on to the, uh, the saying that this is the most underappreciated genre in film and television. And well, when it comes to viewership and fans, uh, it's anything but it's horror is at an all time high. But I do agree with you where it is underappreciated is when it comes to awards, whether it's the Emmys, the Oscars, the Golden Globes, all of that. Very rarely do you see a horror television show or a movie, except for like Silence of the Lambs, get nominated, not, you know, yet alone win something. But that Korean movie, what was it called? I forgot. Train to Busan with the zombies. No, no, the one that won the best best feature, won best oh. feature. Oh, I, I can't remember the title right now. I know what you're talking about. Maybe my I'm still brain dead. I'm embarrassed. I love that movie. I thought it deserved to win, and it's arguably a horror movie. Yeah. So, um, and um, oh, good lord, I'm so brain dead. The uh, the Korean television show. There's been a lot of great. No, horror. the one that is only the only one that did better than Chucky this season. Come on, Squid Games. Squid Games on Netflix. The Squid Games is a horror series. Oh, yeah. Doing very well, and I imagine it will get nominated for things. Um, so, uh, come on, help me with this, the Korean one that won, it won Best Picture like three years My executive ago. producer should be chiming in. He's watching, and he's like the inside. Parasite. Parasite, yes. Yes. There but he I think goes. Parasite. Them, Parasite, I love yeah. Parasite. It was my favorite movie of the year. Um, these are horror movies, really. Mm hmm. I mean, the psychological thrillers, but there's horror elements to them, and that I think the psychological thriller horror, horror, like I'm hoping that more genuine horror films at least fall into that thriller category. Me too. Me too. I think that it's is its last frontier to conquer is the awards and to get the recognition in awards. Now, with Child's Play two, your agent got you. I'm assuming the audition. Uh, Had you? seen the first child's play did you know what you're getting yourself into i didn't and i did see it at some point i don't know if i saw it before i had the audition or if i saw it before the second audition or i saw it when i got the job i definitely saw it before i started working you have to remember it was 1989 and the only way you could see a movie like that was to go to block drive your fat ass down to blockbuster and hope that the one copy they had on vhs was on the shelf and that whoever had it before you didn't have it out for 10 days and you know uh, so it wasn't just click 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 or pay no. 3.99 on amazon prime and my video and, and get to watch it it was, it was a very different world then i did see it though and i loved it um i loved it my favorite moment in it I sort of tellingly is that fuck you and that what an ugly doll in the elevator and Chuck is like fuck you. <laughs> I I appreciated the comedy there. I think I'm not alone in that because the comedy chop com, Chucky's comedy chops were uh, vastly expanded by Child's Play too. Um, 
And so I did, I did like it. I do, I, I still like it. I've watched them all, you know, obviously at this point in time. And I think they all hold up. I mean, my mother watched them all with me this year, right before the series started airing, because she hadn't seen any of them except for mine. And they all hold up and they oh. all have, they all have their merits. I mean, I don't, there's the, there's the two that are typically in the bottom or child's play three and seed of Chucky. Um, but they're both good. They both have, they both have incredible elements that really hold up. And John Waters, how can you say no to John Waters? And, um, and so, and I, and what they also, when you watch them all in a row, what they, what they reveal is the incredible uh, resilience and flexibility of Don Mancini and his own vision for this character that he developed in college Um, to ride that wave of, you know, straight 80s core, making Chucky funnier. Then Scream comes out and Stride and Seed, and he's doing that self, that sort of meta self-referential horror. Um, and then to when that became out of fashion, to go right back into Curse and do this like Southern Gothic uh, horror, which mm-hmm. is perfect. Um, and into Cult, and Cult's my favorite of the whole franchise. It looks like a St- it looks like a Stanley Kubrick movie to me. It does. I like how icy and cold it is, and how clean the blue and the whites are against the blood. Um, so I'm a huge fan of the entire franchise, unapologetically. And I think that um, the series, I, actually, despite being a huge fan of the whole franchise, I was a little bit concerned that Don could like take, he's only had to tell seven, you know, 10 hours of story over 33 years. That's that's a lot of time to think and stew and, and, and come up with ideas. To do eight hours of story in eight weeks is a whole different kettle of fish. Absolutely. And, uh, Holy shit! Did he fucking deliver? Oh man, four and a half like million viewers per week. We had Fiona uh, Duraf as our guest a couple of weeks ago, and it seems like you guys in the cast uh, have really become like a family. She mentioned you, the tremendous amount of respect that she has for you, and I know when we met in Atlantic City, you mentioned Fiona as well is that how you would describe the cast behind the scenes have you guys sort of become like this big family i think we have been sort of tangentially a family like with dawn if it's an octopus dawn is the head and we're like the tentacles that reach out to the different pockets of the family but the time we spent in canada the the two months in canada i i never spent so much time with fiona or jennifer um alex of course i have but fiona and jennifer no hey don't go outside Hey, Hayden! Fuck. Hold on. Hayden! Go I'm get sorry. No, you can go get him. Don't want to get him by those coyotes. Doggies, get in here. Hayden! They're cute doggies. There's one, two. Okay. Sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> Are they all accounted for? What's that? Are they all accounted for? Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm dog sitting a third dog, so God forbid somebody <laughs> else's dog gets eaten by a Cody. So, um, what was I saying? Yo, the family. Yeah. So yeah. So so Alex and I family for sure. Don and I family. Um, that was exponentially ratcheted up though for the time we spent in Canada, uh, largely because um. Neither Alex nor I nor Jennifer nor Fiona had a, a whole lot of time on the schedule. The kids, the kids and their parents had the heavy, the, the, the biggest, the biggest chunks of time on set. The rest of us had 
a, a fuck ton of downtime. And during that downtime, we got to sort of solidify uh, friendships and, and get the, all that much closer. Okay. Yeah. Don no. is a really loyal guy. Um, almost, almost to a fault. Like he's super, he's super sentimental and super bondy, like in, a, in the best possible way. Um, and he, like, it all comes from the top, you know? So if the, if the person at the top is feeling like this is a family and spending every weekend with either us or with the kids, taking the kids on things or whatever, um, that infuses the whole production with that energy. Mm -hmm. So Now, when you found out that they were doing a TV show on Chucky, was it also the same time you found out they wanted you to be a part of it? What was the timeline? Did you hear that it was coming to TV and then you got to call or how did that all work out? Uh, no, we're, again, we're family. So the talking happens before this, Don's not surprising anybody with anything. He talks to you all the time. So um, I knew that based on, you know, what John said, but also the, the, Alex showing up at the end of Curse and having the bigger part in Cult and then my showing up at the end of Cult was teeing Kyle up to have a bigger part in either the next feature that would happen or the show. I knew about the show for a long time. So, and I knew that I would be part of it. I didn't know what, on what level or what the, what the story would be, but I knew that I was in it. Um, I, um, that's why if you Google my responses to when the, the other, the bastard Chucky movie that came out, when you Google my name in that film, you'll see a bunch of headlines like Christine Lee loses her fucking mind. Christine was rages against like Christine Lee's fucking, every title was more and more like I was unhinged in my reaction to this uh, other movie that happened. And, there, and I did, I did a small podcast and I said what I said, I'm not saying I didn't say it. I said it and I meant it. And I repeated it. I would repeat it again. If it was worth repeating, but the reason I said it was, first of all, you don't reinvent a franchise that's not dead in the water. This mm -hmm. franchise is not sitting there like psycho 30, 40 years later waiting to be reinvented. And also, I already knew the television show was in, was in development. So for somebody else to come through and make another film could totally have derailed the TV show, which I couldn't say in any of those interviews. Um, but that was my that was where my vitriol uh, was sourced, so, or was born. So, um, and I didn't even know what way to root for that film. Like, okay, so this film is happening while we're in product in, in development of a TV show. Do I hope the movie fails or do I hope the movie succeeds? I don't even know which thing would no. be, how that will tip the studio. Are they gonna, if, the, if the movie was huge, are they gonna go, oh, fuck it, they took the baton, they have it. They, there's no room. They they they've usurped our power, or are they gonna? Or would they say, "Oh my God, there's a huge appetite for Chucky. We have to get on this fast because everyone there's not enough Chucky for everybody out there." Or the opposite. Yeah, you know, it, it tanks and they go, oh, "Everyone hates Chucky. Fuck it, he's dead. Chucky's dead in the water." So, or it tanks and they go, "Oh, that sucks. That means they only love our Chucky." Like it's all these different scenarios. I don't even know which one to, to root for. And what my primary thing that I was rooting for was that Don Manzini's TV show happened. So, um, and it did. It did. It did. And did it surprise you? Uh, you know, you guys got done filming. It aired. You started seeing the numbers. Did it surprise you, the viewership, that this new show started accumulating? I don't know numbers. It's not my... 
that's not my wheelhouse. I don't really know what those things mean. I mean, it, it ranged, like I said, about an average of about four and a half million viewers per week. And in today's world... I don't know. Oh, okay. In today's world, what? Where you're saturated with content, with digital yeah. streaming and whatnot, to pull in that kind of audience every week is impressive. So I don't know what the numbers are. Like I, I know what they were, but I don't know what they could have been or what. Like I don't, I don't have a bar for that. I don't like that's not my business. You know, I just so, my business is to do a good job and then try to promote it as as well as I can. But the but I know that the numbers were good because of the headlines that were coming out about it. So um, I wasn't surprised. Uh, I was really gratified. Yeah, because I know, I, the show I'd seen the first couple episodes in Don's hotel room as he was cutting them while we were still in Canada, and I know I knew how great it was going to be, and I saw how expensive it looked, and I saw how amazing the kids are, and um, and I was super gratified that fans. My sort of fear, the brilliance of Don cannot be uh, contested. My fear was that because you know the fans, they can be very. Um, you know, like they, they don't they don't like the different uh incarnations of how Chucky looks in the various They're faithful, yeah. They yeah, they don't let and a they, lot of stuff just, slip. There's a lot well no, I don't want to say the things slip, but they, but the fans have very strong opinions and mm -hmm. they have very strong expectations and they can get sort of um reactive when they don't get what they thought they were gonna get. And I, and having just gone to the nine oh two one oh reboot where fans didn't get what they thought they were gonna get, I think from my perspective, they got something way better than they should have even hoped for, mm -hmm. but they didn't get what they thought they were going to get, and they stomped their little feet, and they walked away, and the show didn't get to do a second season because fans just didn't give it a second. So I was afraid that Chucky was going to have that same experience. I was afraid that asking old-school Chucky fans to wait four episodes to see anybody they recognize except for Chucky might have turned them off. Mm -hmm. And I'm so proud. I'm so fucking proud of Chucky fans for not just hanging in there, but for genuinely falling in love with and embracing these new characters. These kids deserve it. The parents, all those, every, Devin Sawa and Alexa mm -hmm. like, everybody is so fucking brilliant. And the kids are so, um, their performances are so rich and emotional and like complex. Oh yeah, they're great. Um, they're great, but that doesn't mean fans will respond to it or give it time, and they did. So bravo, Chucky fans, for hanging in there and like and, and like really loving every minute of it, not just like holding your breath for Jennifer and Alex. When you, know? you were going to reprise your role on this TV show, you being Kyle in back in 1989, 1990, what elements did you bring to Kyle uh Obviously, a lot of time has passed. Her experiences back then with Chucky have shaped who she is today. What was your approach on how you were going to bring Kyle to the screen? I'm not that sophisticated an actor. I'm, I, I, I'm just not that sophisticated. I, I just like, look, unless the role requires some really deep soul searching or some like emotional work that I'm not comfortable with. Um, I'm just kind of trying to be myself and and say the words in a situation that sounds the most authentic, um, but coming from a place as close to me as as I can manage. Um, that's always been how I've uh, approached things. I have never had a role that required any research or any, like 
Yeah, I played a fireman. Yeah, I played doctors, but I got my job on ER the day I got the job at 7 p.m. at night and was on set at 6 a.m. the next morning. There's no time to research what like, mm -hmm. it's like to be a med student. And I wouldn't have had I had the opportunity anyway, because what the fuck? Mm -hmm. All you are is a person in a situation. Like you don't, there's no way to prepare to be killed or, you know, chased by a killer doll. There's no way to, there's nobody to interview about that. <laughs> it's just, it's just pretend. And so the for me as an untrained actor, I've just, the best thing I can do is bring as much of me to every role as I possibly can. I sort of say I'm in the Jack Nicholson camp of actors where Jack Nicholson is Jack Nicholson, just in different situations. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I'm a Jack Nicholson because he's one of the best actors that ever lived in all time, but he's a very different actor than a Meryl Streep who becomes invisible in uh, her roles. And so I'm not trained. I'm not that sophisticated. So I just come into well, it. You're and a I damn good to, actor, though. I try to make the words sound true. That's all I can do. Well, what are your feelings on the the writing for the your character Kyle in the TV show? Do you like how, where they took her? I'm super excited because I know Don will run his ideas past you for years before the thing actually is being shot. So a thousand ideas. Um, come and go uh the you know um he'll cycle things through you and say i'm going to do this with you i'm going to do this with you and then it doesn't even happen um he could have made kyle be like some real estate agent suburban mm -hmm. housewife with kids and uh that would have sucked i don't think that's who she, i don't think that's where she should land i don't think that's interesting given the nature of the show the fact is the show is not grounded in reality we've got a supernaturally possessed doll uh, a doll and we've got jennifer tilly you know possessed by a doll it's not grounded in reality so why why make a character who's now 17 then and is now 57 or whatever she 50 whatever she is mm -hmm. 50 um why ground her in some boring reality why not let her be this like alex and, and andy and kyle are be these sort of vigilante warriors, Pulp Fiction style badasses. There's room for that in the show, mm -hmm. and and I'm really grateful that Don went that way and didn't didn't go like didn't go more conservatively. I, I'm happy with. I think that's more fun. If you had to pick, uh, obviously the success of Child's Play, Chucky the TV show. I mean, a huge part. It's all Don Mancini. What would you say it is about Don that you see in him that you haven't seen in other filmmakers that he has that that it factor that can take something and turn it into a success like the Chucky franchise? Well, um, primarily in the case of the Chucky franchise, I don't think any other franchise can boast that the same person wrote every single film and then helmed the, if there were a television show yeah. that he was the, was the showrunner of that. So I don't want to um, shit talk any other filmmakers because a lot of them had their art taken out of their hands and given to somebody else. Uh, and who's to say what would have happened with other franchises had the person that initially envisioned it stayed at the helm the entire time. I have to, that said, I have to say, I think it's a rare man that can, I already covered what I think Don did as far as rolling with the times mm -hmm. and changing with the, the tone. And, and 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 even more tricky um like other it's it's freddie or it's michael myers or, and it's the we they're they're like the killer and you know why they're the killer and they kill people 
But Don has all this cartoony stuff in there to deal with. He's got to deal with not just Chucky and the, you know, he's can possess a doll and all the doll baby children stuff, but also there's the Jennifer Tilly stuff and the Glenn and Glenda and the, and all of these, that's a lot of fantasy yeah. to keep alive and then grounded back in this television show, which is grounded sort of, it's, it's grounded. It's not camp. It, Chucky's funny, but it's not camp. The show is serious mm-hmm. and everybody in it is, is in earnest and, and no single storyline that Don's ever, ever written and ever broadcast is being pretended it's not there. Don't pretend, you know, Glenn and Glenda don't exist. Pretend whatever, and you can go to military school or, you know, these things. So to, to keep um, a story going that has so many incredibly wild tangents within it is incredibly, uh, uh, it's masterful on Don's part. So. Exactly. Uh, now, you mentioned earlier that when you got started, you wanted to be a film actress. Uh, now in your career especially with the state of TV, how it's like become like the new gold standard. Do you lean more towards television as opposed to films? Do you like the format, the the pace? Um, TV is done at a much quicker pace. You got to spit out episode after episode. What is your opinion now as opposed to what it was when you started out? My opinion changed 20 years ago. Um, I like the fast pace of television. Shooting The way the shooting pace of television doesn't bother me. That's what I'm used to. I've done very few films in my life. I'm mostly a TV actress. I like the fast pace. I like move, move, move. Um, so that's never been a problem for me. Um, and um, when I wanted to be a film actress, people like David Lynch and uh, were making feature films and there were Artel's films and, and Nicolas Cage did edgy shit like Vampire's Kiss, Mm -hmm. which is my top five of all time. And um, that film world doesn't exist anymore. No, There's no movie industry except for superheroes for the most part, or some some studio here and there will make some, you know, um, obvious grab for Academy Awards sort of heavy material that's historically important or whatever, you know, to, to, for award season, but there's no real film industry anymore. It's just big budget stuff that I don't watch for the most part. I'd be happy to be in one. Don't get me wrong, but that's not what I watch. I watch edgy shit. And it used to be that films were edgy and TV was horse shit. Yeah. And now now movies are horse shit and TV is edgy. So uh, yeah, of course I'm It seems I like it. TV is taking the lead on pushing uh, the boundaries in any motion picture. So how did it all start for you, Um, you know, your love of acting? You just described how you, you know, go into every role, not a lot of research. You just go read the script and just lay it out there. So you obviously have natural talent because you bring it every single time. Did you always want to be an actress uh, from way back? What did, how did acting come to you? Acting came to me because I had to find some way to be an artist in my life. And I, and everybody I knew growing up, I'm from Boston, everybody I knew in Boston, I'm from the punk rock world. I was punk rock in like 79, 80, 83, you know, early, early punk rock. Uh, everyone I knew was a musician. That's not something that I um, ever wanted to do. And I certainly was not presentational enough to be, I, for, I had a band for five seconds. Um, where I was the drummer, but I was too afraid to play drums in front of the other girls. So it was fucking a waste of, I was not I'm a super shy person. 
Um, and music just didn't even appear to me to be something that you could make a living at either, even in high school. Um, I knew that's impossible way to make a living. So I thought I'd be a vet. Then I was like, oh, but you don't just deal with happy puppies and happy cats. You also put them to sleep or deal with trauma. And that's not going to be a fun way to spend life. So what else can I do with artistic skills? And my mother's like, maybe you should be an architect. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'll think about that. And and I, but in all the, all the while, I was a huge um, movie fan. I was mm -hmm. a big fan of the 40s, the classics and the Humphrey Bogarts and the Marilyn Monroe's and the, um, film noir in particular. Um, and I collected Pulp Fiction, 30s paperbacks um, in high school. I still have the whole collection. Uh, I read them almost ex exclusively as my recreational reading was all 30s Pulp Fiction, 50s, 30s to 60s Pulp Fiction. And then I saw Blade Runner and I was like, oh, look at Blade Runner. That's like, it's film noir turned on its head and made mm -hmm. it's in color and it's modern now and it's a whole reinvention of that genre. So I thought, well, that's what I'll do. I'll become a director and I'll take that baton and I will um, go to film school and become a director and I'll make film noir the, you know, the next big thing. I went to BU, Boston University for a year. It seemed stupid to go to film school in Boston when there was no film industry. So I thought I'd move to Los Angeles. I did it at 19. Thought I'd live here for a year and establish California residency at the time before Ronald Reagan changed these things. Um, California state schools were like $600 a semester, whereas BU was 12,000. And um, I thought I'd go to school basically for free out here, but I moved here and took the year, but I got a job on Rodeo Drive as a cashier making $6 an hour and had to work 60 hours a week to pay my bills. And two and a half years later, I was still a cashier. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna fucking die in retail and what a waste of life. And <laughs> how, can I, how can I possibly still get involved in the film world with no training and no skill and no talent? And then I was like, well, maybe if I wanna be a director, I should take some after work at like eight o'clock night classes, acting classes happened and I had a great deal. So I was like, oh, if I'm gonna be a director and I'm gonna direct actors, I should know what an actor does. I should know even how to speak to them. Um, so it's, And I can do that after work for a minimal amount of money. And I did that and I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. And then I thought, fuck, I'm 21 or whatever, 22 and I look 15 and I, um, people that can't act make a living all the time. I don't see why I can't be one of them. And so I thought I'd try to be an actor and then learn my way around the set and learn things that are to be learned on the set, mm -hmm. on the set. And it worked out. And then yeah. once I got on set and saw what directors do, I was completely intimidated and thought, yeah, being an actor is a better way to go. Um, and it really, I didn't, at the time, my gender wasn't something I even considered. But uh, in retrospect, for me to have pursued being a director in my 20s as, as a woman in the 80s or 90s even would have been a fucking farce. So uh, I would be still doing that and not having made anything. So thank God I chose acting, but it wasn't a passion for acting. It was just a passion to be involved in film, in art, in the arts. How about directing now? Is that something that you want to try more? Or, um, well, I did do? the short film. I did the short film, right? And that was a super controlled thing. It's, it's called Bathing in the Single Girl. It's on that website, Bathing Book dot com and I um and it was fun but it, I didn't direct anybody else it was me and a camera guy and not even all the time was there a sound guy it was like two of us or three of us here at any point in time so it wasn't really directing and that I didn't have to direct a crew I didn't have to direct other actors I didn't have to you know get a day done on a schedule or I didn't have people breathing no. down my neck 
millions of dollars of their money, you know, I'm bleeding for them. So I don't think that I'm necessarily um, qualified to be a director, except for the environment um, where a lot of actors become directors, which is if you're on a TV show for a while and you know the, you know the, um, the product really well and you know the crew really well and they can trust you to direct an episode, a lot of actors make their way into directing that way. And I, I don't foresee myself directing, becoming a director anyway, except that way. I, I would definitely need the soft bosom of a warm crew um, to make that happen. That is amazing. You know, Christine, you are fucking amazing. Uh, <laughs> you really are. When we met in Atlantic City and I came up to you, because you had quite the line and I'm like, aren't you the hot thing? And you're like, that's because I'm fucking, I'm no badass. I'm awesome. And you are. You are awesome. This has been a fascinating conversation. And it comes down to talent. You have talent. That's why acting really worked out for you. And you were awesome as Kyle. You were awesome as Emily. You were awesome in every role you've done. And I'm just looking forward to seeing more stuff with you in it. And the stuff that you auditioned for today, I hope you get it. I hope to see more of it. Uh, just the last question before we go. Are you satisfied with how season one of Chucky ended? Uh, okay. First of all, I know this is controversial. I was really floored by the whole Jennifer, Fiona story. Yeah. That... Talk about shit hitting the fan. Incredible! What a lot for those women to do. And God bless Dawn. Like when I was leaving Canada in the summer, and the last brunch we had together, Dawn said, um, "What's your favorite part of coming back and playing Kyle?" And I said, "My favorite part of playing Kyle is that you let her be a fucking badass." Because I'm, as a human being, I'm fifty. I'll be fifty-seven in two months, and fifty-seven-year-old uh, women don't get cast playing vigilante badasses. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jennifer is my age too, and uh, a lot of women my age don't get to play vampy sex pots. And uh, Fiona's younger; she's like forty or something, but like she's playing four roles she's playing nika nika possessed by chucky nika possessed by chucky pretending to be nika and then charles lee ray yeah. there's a lot of stuff for women of a certain who aren't 25 to be gifted in a in what's turned out to be a pretty important tv show oh yeah so um yeah i mean i'm satisfied i wish i had more to do in season one, I uh, I hope I survive to season two and have more to do with knowing Don and his loyalty and the fact that there's time travel mm -hmm. in the show. Yeah. So um, I don't think anybody has to die forever. <laughs> it's kind of has almost a soap opera element to it where you can like, you know, because we're seeing Charles Lee Ray in the 70s and stuff. So uh, whether Kyle is or not uh, doesn't mean she's gone. Now, I know you guys don't see Brad on the set. Uh, he's in his own little recording studio doing anything. What are your feelings towards Brad Dourif's contribution to this franchise? First of all, I was a huge Brad Dourif fan from, um, uh, it's not just Cuckoo's Nest, but another film he did, uh, he plays like an evil preacher. I'm forgetting the name of it right now, but I was a huge, huge Brad Dourif fan when I got the job in the eighties. Mm -hmm. And when I had to rehearse my lines with him, I was so fucking starstruck. I couldn't even stand it. Like he, 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 and he has not disappointed. He remains 
uh, an all-time classic character actor oh, yeah. that I can't believe I do panels and sit next to him. I can't believe it's fucking unbelievable to me that Jennifer and Jennifer and Brad are both Academy Award nominees. Like mm-hmm. that, that, so Chucky's not just bringing some schlubs to set, no. but, you know. Um, and for Brad, I know that Brad is tired of playing bad guys, and I think he said publicly a couple times that he's not going to play anymore bad guys except for Chucky. So I think I think he brings gravitas to it. I think that Chucky would maybe be camp, campier um, and less menacing in the hands of a lesser actor, mm-hmm. especially especially given that Brad has ridden the whole you know ride from oh, start yeah. to finish through all the funny and and the, and the not funny. Uh, a lesser actor could lose his way, and Brad never does. So. I'm super grateful for him. My favorite Brad Dourif movie, and this surprises some people, is The Exorcist 3. I know. He that scene the, in the that, bed? Oh, my God. His monologue with George C. Scott. Brilliant. I mean, just brilliant. It's brilliant. And just know, I heard, I'm not even going to get this right, but I, I apparently told the story of he shot that. They didn't like what he did. They cast somebody else. Then they came back and used him, like. But it is a devastating oh, fucking monologue. It, it's it's ridiculous. It should be a film in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, I may, he he made that movie. He was just absolutely chilling. Christine, we're out of time. I want to thank you so much. This has been such a damn good fun hour. I'm so sorry, I fucked no, up. No, no. What happened is we got you on. That's all that matters. I'm glad. We had this conversation. Any final thoughts you want to share before we go? No, just be patient, kids. Don't don't uh, don't make any assumptions about what's coming next season, and uh, and 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 keep the faith because Don ultimately brings it all back around. And he surprises everybody. Thank you to Christina, Elise McCarthy. Thank you to all our viewers for tuning in. On behalf of Christina and myself, stay safe, and stay walking. Yep. Good night, everybody. Yep. Good night.